This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're having a yarn with Robbie Peters. Robbie and his family farm at Yarrabandi, northwest of Forbes in the state's central west. Robbie runs a mixed farming operation on Barrawang, where he trades sheep and cattle and also crops on a short-term rotation coming out of pasture. In this episode, Robbie talks to us about how he got his start in agriculture through trading cattle and how this developed into buying machinery, leasing and cropping on a share farming arrangement. Robbie also talks to us about how the use of an overdraft account allowed him to expand his farming operation, which eventually led to being able to purchase his own farm. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Rowan Leach, sat down for a cuppa and a yarn with Robbie at Burrowang Homestead. G'day listeners, today I'm with Robbie Peters from Yarrabandi, just west of Forbes, or is it northwest, Robbie? Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. Anyway, Rob, welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me on. Oh, beauty. Your name has actually come up as a request from the Seeds for Success community. <laughs> I don't know why. You've been dobbed <laughs> in and not by your wife, Lily. Yeah. What do you reckon of that? I think it's a bit of a stitch up. I think someone's leaning you down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, can you just give us a bit of a rundown of what you do here at Burrowing? So my wife and I, we have about 1,400 acres that we just purchased probably four years ago now, three years ago. I do share farming. My grandparents own a property next door, so we run sheep. Used to be all trade cattle, but now I'm back to doing a trade with cattle as well as running ewes, so crossbred ewes anyway. So that's majority of our jobs at the moment. Yeah, so just a pretty diverse... Yeah, a bit of everything. Your standard mixed farming yeah, in the Central West. Yeah, pretty much. Central mixed farming. Haven't mastered any of it, but still doing it. So you've got a bit of an interesting business structure. You said that you're a sole trader and that you kind of work in collaboration with your grandparents and your family. Yeah, pretty much sort of. Even when my brother was home, he's now moved to America. Everyone's sort of just done their own enterprise and probably had the ability to either adjust a lease little country off the grandparents if need be. Well, everyone's always pushed to just do their own enterprise to sort of make you think for yourself and chase what you want to do instead of keeping it all in under one roof, which I think has worked well for all of us. And how do things like sharing machinery and that sort of stuff work? I bought all the machinery. So we used to be all contracts and get contractors in. And then I decided it was probably a good opportunity that I could fill a space there and went out and bought tractors and cedars and sprayers and all the fun stuff. So in-house, we still fully pay each other contract rate for the use of someone else's machinery if you're using it. You can have someone there instantly if you need it, so so none of the lines get blurred and no one steps on each other's toes, I guess that's the best way to say it. Just everything's pretty fair. Yeah, just keep everything above board and yep. no one's Nothing unhappy. Nothing yeah. People get cranky sometimes if you start favouring people, so you just get your opportunity and you run with what you do. Yeah. What are the soil types here on Burrow? So we've got a mixture. We're pretty clay black on the main block. Heading further west of us, you're probably heading more reddish soils, but majority of our block would be a clay black and Gilgai country as well. 
this bit of a stretch through Waru and near Forbes is there's lots of mile trees, isn't yes, there? Yes, uh, plenty of mile trees. I think on one block we got long strip. It's um, yeah, you can lose a bike pretty quick if you poke along too fast. She's um, especially being so wet, you don't see it. <laughs> down about a metre in there and got to call up a, the wife to come save you. <laughs> <laughs> what crops do you grow on your soils? Mostly cereals. So we just do wheat and barley solely because we've got a bit of a feedlot as well. We haven't used it since it's been wet, but it was just solely to tailor for the feedlot and to tidy up country. Like we get the plains grass and lipia, which gets too wet at the moment. It gets overrun and we can't stock it to try to beat it down or get some competition, we sort of just turn over every three years a different bit of country that needs a bit of love and affection and keep that for dry times. Yeah, so just that short rotation of cropping pasture country to tidy it up. Yeah, pretty much. We've done canola a few times, but we don't really need it because we're moving every three years, so it's not do a wheat, then two barleys after it, and then loosen onto it. Yeah. Are you finding with that system that your nitrogen requirements probably aren't as high as your neighbours? Yeah, I'd say so. But that might be just because we're a bit tight sometimes, don't put the right <laughs> right amount on. But yeah, definitely the first year, if you get it all worked up quite well and everything breaks down before it sucks all the goodies out of it, it's generally a pretty nitrogen rich. By the end, when you put the last crops, you, you might have to bang the end up a bit on it and then generally follow with loose and try to replenish it and leave that to either bale for a year or just graze it off, eat it. Yep. So you grow a bit of loosen? Yeah, on the third year or so. We'll try to work up a fresh you know, 500, 700, depending on how the year's going and if you can get to the block. But generally we'd have, I think at the moment, we've probably got maybe 600 acres all up of loosening, which is lovely this year. We did a undersoded on a barley crop, which we silaged the barley. And if we end up getting something ridiculous amount of, amount of silage off it, lovely loosen behind it. So that was a little win, that one, but doesn't happen all too often. We That's are it. Hot under sowing. Yeah, there's nothing like six or 700 mils in a year <laughs> yeah, to make an under yeah. crop pretty yeah. handy. You mentioned that you've got the machinery and you went and bought out that. So how did you get the start for that? How did you get find the capital for? Well, I was a sole trader, like just trading cattle when I first started and then I was working for contractors around. So I sort of traded up a bit to everyone knows and you got to get rid of a bit of money, otherwise the tax man takes it off you. <laughs> One thing about agriculture, to get money for machinery is very easy to do. First, trying to get money for a property or anything else like that. So that was, did it in steps, bought like a cedar and then bought a bigger tractor. And then that's sort of how I got into that. Just trade out a bit of cattle money for machinery money, really, and just tried contracting enough that paid for the payments of the gear as I went. So I'd just take on more neighbor's work or someone else's work and put in their crops. Yeah, that's sort of how we built up the money for that. So what came first, the machinery or the purchasing borrowing? Machinery. It's easy to get money for machinery. Buying this property was a bit of a shock to the business, I guess you'd say. We'd done a fair few good trades and we bought it in 16. We got married and bought a property in about a week, which is very uh, stressful for us <laughs> both. So as you know, if you're starting off and if you not don't have a, any country behind you, they sort of want a 33% deposit to put down. And then you get your stamp duty of 5%. And we sacrificed the cattle herd to step into this property and then borrowed back against it. And then luckily got another trade in, got us back up and running to where we're doing a, another bit of a cash trade, which is sort of how we had to do it pretty much because if you don't get that 30%, it's a bit of a slug to 
get onto a property anyway and you're not going to get too much under a million these days. So that's a bit of a shock to us. We're fully prepared for it. If it was, say, you did it in 1718 and hit that rolling drought, you would have at least we got a year or two good up our sleeve before it went absolutely pear-shaped. Yeah. <laughs> you can be prepared for it, I guess, but it's always how prepared can you be for some pretty big repayments? Yeah, well, see, I've sort of in all my trade, I've always tried to keep two years feed up my sleeve or to be able to finish everything we had on the place no matter what and then just offload and buy. Because everything I buy, I'm very prepared to sell in a heartbeat if the price is right or, or it looks like it's gone pear-shaped and the year's not going to run with us. You don't want to over flog your country either. So I'd rather sacrifice maybe a couple of dollars there and be able to country to be able to start running instantly when you get rain. Yeah, a lot of people after the drought were in not a great position because they hadn't confinement fed or hadn't offloaded a lot of stock. We actually went into sheep. So that's a funny story I'll say later. So I would essentially just got rid of all my cattle, but grandparents didn't. They fed the cows and tried holding as many cold heavily but fed and it was interesting to see the if the drought went on for another year they'd made a mistake but it didn't and it worked out extremely well now we all know that's to the breeders run now they're the ones making the big money if you held on to your breeding stock but yeah and the trade stock's a little bit tighter now because you're buying in steers so it's had a little tumble of recent say two months ago buying in steers for two grand and the bloody 200 kilos or 250 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're worth a little bit less yeah, than that now. Yeah, you put it, yeah, tiny bit less. Before you purchased Burrowing, where did you run your stock? You, you're obviously doing a fair bit of trading then as well. Yeah, so we're all lease registering. So we pretty much had pockets of livestock here, there, everywhere, mostly local. We had a few out west, which wasn't too bad. Generally, if we had a lease or an adjustment, I'd buy to suit how long I had there. So generally go out and assess what it looks like and how much if I think I could push off 50 steers off this block in that time to bring back and put in the feedlot that was a big benefit of the feedlot for me adjusting and leasing and yeah you just bang them out there and push them off you know you'd make your money back with that one run plus make a little bit more up your sleeve if everything went your way. So it was a quite a short-term lease on a per-trade basis yeah, almost? Yeah, pretty much. Some of them were. I had one lease, which was a quite a good lease, which went for four years, five years, I think, which is very handy. And it's good to get a long lease up your sleeve because then you can look after a place a lot better. If you know you've got it for four years, you're not going to hurt the property by trying to fill your pockets, I guess you'd say. So how was it managing all those sort of smaller lease blocks? Oh, it was interesting. You generally get a few phone calls from a couple of neighbours if um, a couple of steers decide to go for a wander. I wouldn't have wanted to do it with the sheep so much, but cattle wasn't too bad though. If you had the water and stuff, you're quite happy to leave them for five, six days before you go back and have a little look. We were just in stock routes and stuff like that. That was a bit more interesting with a come to a Friday, Saturday, and you'd have a bit of a panic that there'd be a friendly couple of young fellas who were on the boozer and decided that they'd go for a shoot down the stock route. And you'd be like, oh, here we go. Go down there, all your fence is gone. You could walk cattle, buddy, five or six Ks to bring them back home. But it wasn't too bad. Do you mind going through the process of how you got onto the stock routes then? It was out of necessity, I think. We ran out of water on a block and fretting that we were going to have to truck. And it was actually, I think it was Wendy Gill. It was like, oh, do you want just a stock route? And you walk them down and they had a decent sized dam. They just cleaned them out. And I was like, oh, that's a cracker of an idea. I didn't even know that was a bit of, I thought it was just for drivers to have their walk for the 5K a day passing. But no, they seem to be quite happy to let you 
jump on it for not massive periods of time, but it's a quick way to destock a paddock to give it a little blow off for yeah, a month or two. It's quite useful. So with the cattle being on those adjustment and lease blocks, you preferred that over sheep just because of the lower maintenance of cattle? Well, I've only really been in sheep for the last two years. So I was all cattle up until two years. But even now on a management side of things, looking at sheep, I get afraid when they're too far away. The things seem to get on top of them very quickly versus cattle. Like cattle, you've got a bit of time up your sleeve and especially in the wet at the moment, we've had trouble with sheep getting stuck on places and we can't touch them or do any work to them because it's too wet or where cattle, you can you can walk them out through a couple a metre of water if you have to. You can swim them if you have to. So that's the only thing that scares me about sending sheep too far away and flies, dirty flies. <laughs> so it sounds like a bit of a steep learning curve with the sheep, Yeah, mate. yeah, definitely had a few steep learning curves with sheep. And I was only thinking the other day I'd only done about Four days' work with sheep before I bought them. And those four days I did with them, I didn't enjoy them. So I don't know how. <laughs> the wife talked me into it. I must have had a weak moment and she pounced. She's seen her opportunity. <laughs> Actually, it's sort of funny how I got into sheep. So it was in the drought. I'd finished my trade of cattle on this new block. It was all dam water. Luckily, now we've improved it and got boar, a decent boar on it, and you can hold livestock there. But with all the dams, the cattle just reckon dams are not very good on them, as most people know. And my wife had been pestering me for since we bought the place, really, to buy some sheep. She wanted some sheep. I said, oh, look, it's hot, dry as blazes. Got a bit of feed out there. How about go away on Christmas and in January, February, it's hot as blazes. No one will want to buy sheep. You can buy some sheep then. Buy yourself 50 head, 60 head, and you do whatever you want. You can have the house block. We've got a little house block of 250 acres. You can have that. Anyway, I think I was away. I must have been... I'm a header or something. Anyway, Lil rings me up. So what's your auctions plus account? And I sort of laughed in the phone. I said, get bent. I'm not giving you my auctions plus account. I don't know what you're like. <laughs> Somehow she's got hold of my auctions plus account. And she's like, what are you doing on Sunday? So I should be home on Sunday. She's like, good, I'm going away. Can you take delivery of some sheep? <laughs> well, yeah, what the hell happened to a big plan that we're going to wait until January? for? Anyway, right here, well, I'll take delivery of them. I'm in, these, in the cattle yards because we had no sheep facilities at all. Oh, bloody B double rocks up. Oh, I must be a share load. Something's, should be Jake. Just a share load. I've got, just got the back pen. Anyway, they crack the doors. These sheep keep running. I've lost count of about 100. Oh, far out. What's she done here? I might walk up the truck. And, oh, share load. What's going on here, mate? You want to reload some? So, no, nah, they're all yours. Anyway, I wait <laughs> until little rocks up next morning. She'd perched herself something like 300 and... 50 ewes of lambs at foot. We had, didn't have a fence that could hold a sheep, so the neighbour had half of them in about two hours. <laughs> so we had, yeah. Then I got free adjustment from you guys down the stock route because that's where they all went. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that was a steep learning curve, but it wasn't a bad, probably still got a few of them. They're the worst sheep in the planet. They're absolute rogues of things. They all come out of Burke. <laughs> Squat in a bush real quick. <laughs> she made work for us. So anyway, we kept rolling on. I've enjoyed them so far because it's a quick turnover, pretty quick trade, and we're all doing the crossies, so buying in, selling out. You don't like when you just sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've heard Auctions Plus described as the points bet for farmers. Oh, yeah. I'll have a hedge it. <laughs> it's like that. With even When you buy in cattle, you're like, oh, could we? 
I'm winning this mob. That's another funny story. Auctions plus Lil and I were bidding on two lots of sheep. And I was properly called Barriga. Poor service. I'm standing on top of the tractor cab bidding away. Anyway, I've lost one. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just take the one pen. Don't want the two anyway. Too many. Shouldn't have been going for them anyway. Jump back in the cab and keep going. Must have been there later. Lil's like, oh, you got him. I was like, no, no, I only got the one mob. She's right. She's like, no, no, I was on there. I bid it. You got the two lots. I've got them all. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an important lesson for keeping your passwords in maybe safe spots. Yeah, do not use your birthday. (laughs) 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 Yeah, no, so, yeah, auctions plus. I think Lil probably shouldn't have been a dentist. She should have got a job on auctions plus because... If you're going to the dentist in condo on a Tuesday, Thursday, she's probably only paying 70% to you and the rest onto the auctions plus that's probably behind your head as she's pulling her tooth out. (laughs) So it sounds like the sheep has been a steep learning curve. So going back to how you started, you said you had a few mobs of cattle and that sort of thing. Were you breeding those on your adjustment lots or you were trading those as well? Everything was all trade. So with the cattle, they definitely all trade. Like I was just buying in heifers, steers. If the market suited for something, I'd go to it like a Woolies contract or a Japox and just draft them up to that and everything straight out. So tell me about your first cattle trade then as well. It sounds like you've told me about Lily's first trade. What was yours? Oh, I'd just come back and I was working in Queensland at the time and just come back. A bit of time, I was doing a bit of working around and I decided, oh, may as well buy some cattle, see if I have a little run at this and make a bit of money. I think I bought like 10 steers or less. I got hold of a little overdraft then I had a ute, so they lent against it and they gave me 20 grand, I think. I was gutted if I was paying more than 500 bucks a head at that stage. <laughs> but yeah, it got about, must have been 12 or something. I had a keep of potties as well that still sitting out in the paddock from when I was younger. And yeah, pretty much just aimed for the feedlot with them. It's a two for one deal, really. Buy in 12, get rid of them, try get your 24 back, then just keep doubling your numbers, really. That's the only way you're going to grow. And then it's just trying to figure out how to run them to that. Places to run them if you don't have the country to do it yourself. When we're having a couple before, you mentioned that your overdraft's a little bit bigger now than that first 20 grand. Do you mind talking through the process of building that? It's essentially the same thing as cattle, mate. (laughs) Keep doubling. No, so. (laughs) Keep doubling. (laughs) (laughs) So the overdraft is a very useful tool. I remember thinking. When I first got it, I was like, oh, yeah, the bank manager, I was really impressed. I'd paid it back that first year and went and seen the bank again. He's like, oh, you haven't used it. And I was like, oh, I've paid it back. I was real chuffed. And then after, had got a credit card to try to get a bit of a credit rating back as well. So that sort of showed that I was paying back my bills. And after that, sort of as my herd grew, they just extended it. So then it sort of went pretty much the same two for one. Went to a 40, then a 60, and then they said, you're enough. <laughs> <laughs> That Ford Ute sounds like it was holding up its end of the collateral, mate. Yeah, that definitely had it. I think it actually increased in value by the end. I think it was nearly worth more than a, the Steiger tractor or something. So with machinery, once you start, they they don't very easily. Like they'll, if you say, well, your tractor's say 100 grand or something, they'll be like, yeah, if that's fine. I'll lend you a full 100 against it if you've paid that off. That's the one thing of, that's why farms end up getting machinery because it's easy to get into. And then once you pay it back, you can probably lean against it a bit harder than what you should. I guess, yeah, there is caution there. Like, can't get yourself in too deep. No, like I always was a very conservative, like I always made sure that my cattle were either going to cover everything 
but like we know there's mishaps, market drops, say foot and mouth or something like we're talking now coming, you'd be in a fair bit of strife. But it's all a bit of a juggling act, I think. It's keep in contact with them, tell them exactly what you're doing. If they say you're doing a decent plan, they'll generally let you have a bit more money if you look like you're making money for them. They want to give you money, especially being a business. They're not that interested in houses. They're only making their 3 or 4%. With an overdraft, they'll be making 5 6%. So they're happy. They're getting plenty of money at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if it's working both ways. Yeah, that's right. It's going to help everyone. Yeah, fair with a friend. Mate, I'm going to tell my wife to listen to this podcast <laughs> because this is all my first steps of getting an overdraft, I think. Robbie said I can do it. Yeah, it's a done deal, mate. <laughs> it's going to work. No, overdrafts are great. I've always loved overdrafts. There's only way to really – you've got to have money to make money. And that's the absolute truth. So definitely talk to your bank manager and they'll generally sort you out. I know people do through agents, like their agents in town, but they'll be probably charging 10, 12% to borrow against it. And it's better to be in the pot, like mates with your bank, than sometimes probably even stick their neck out for you. If you're getting a bit of strife, they'll let you a bit more money if need be. But yeah, keep them on your side. So mate, just to wrap it up, like we've talked a lot about leasing and share farming and that sort of thing. Have you got any advice for people that are considering doing that in their own businesses, either to start out or to expand on a business currently? One bit of advice would be what you like doing. If you like cattle, sheep, whatever, if you're in the trading, just get hold of a few. You'll see if you like it or not. We'll take your first trade, you find out if you like it or if you don't like it. Then once you really feel like you, yep, that's the road I'm going down, then do your two and one, keep doubling, keep pushing as hard. It was my neighbour's favourite saying was take the biggest bite you can and chew like hell. That's where we're roughly at these days. I think you've got to have red alt run when you're young so then you can enjoy it when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's the cracking way to finish up, I think. But just before I let you go, and this question hopefully doesn't give you too much trouble, but i just like to ask for my last question, what do you think the biggest issue is in ag at the moment in Australia? Probably a mixture of education Probably transparency of agriculture, I guess, if that's the right word to say. Like, what always sort of annoys me, I think farmers get a bit of a bad rap from cities and stuff like that looking in. It's either the only time they pay attention is if you're in a drought and they've got bad photos on TV. I think the ability of them and probably if you go into the supermarket, try buy Australian. It's nearly impossible to find. You go buy bacon. There's one company that's 100% bacon, I think. 100% Australian bacon. Yeah, Yeah. which sort of that's one thing that I don't think we promote ourselves enough inside Australia for the rural area. I think that's what we should champion a bit harder for us. It's a good answer, mate. So, yeah, it's I guess that transparency and having the public looking in on farmers in a two-way street sort of thing. Yeah. They might be a bit more willing to support Australian farmers in the future. Pretty much. I think so. I think we've got bloody good produce over here. I think that's transparency and... For either side, I think everyone just needs a bit more education on agriculture in the whole. Even if you live in the city or doing it, I think that could help everyone along the way a bit. If everyone takes a little slab, or everyone should go jackarooing for a year or something like that. <laughs> like Force country labour or something. We need some labour out here. <laughs> How do you reckon the people from Paddington in Sydney would go out in oh. <laughs> in the back blocks of? Yeah, I think we might lose a few of them, but they'd probably enjoy it to a degree. 
They might enjoy the driving around looking at livestock. <laughs> <laughs> They'll test them when you get in the yards, though. Bit of hard work might do them <laughs> Yeah, test them out. They'll enjoy doing a desk job, though, after that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast today, mate. I'll have a whale of a time. No, thank you very much for having me. Hopefully I've, I haven't made a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Awesome. See you, bud. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.